chapter 5. I want God. I want God. chapter 5 verse number 5 so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest but it was he who said to him you are my son today i have begotten you as he also says in another place you are a priest forever according to the order of melchizedek days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear though he was a son yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered and having been perfected he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey called by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek of whom we have much to say and hard hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing you must find god brothers and sisters must find it. You know, he says, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. Until our hearts, until our entire beings, yearn insatiably for God, we will not find him. He will always be hidden to us. He will always be concealed to us. But it is when we seek him with all our hearts, with all our intentions. He says you must be deliberate in going after him. You must be conscious in going after him. He says I will be found by you. I will be found by you. Has it been found by you? 
you know, I came to the realization of my life in my life that I haven't found God yet. I haven't found Him. Because there is a reality that continues to be before me that I, I find and I see that I have not yet attained. Paul says, I do not say that I have yet apprehended. But this one thing I do, I leave the things behind and I press on. I press on toward the price of the back of the high calling in Christ Jesus. So that I may know him. That I may know him. The fellowship of his suffering. If by any means I might also attain unto his resurrection. Do you want God? Have you found God? Our, our lack of intensity and intention in going after God is proof that our lives are cold, that our lives are far away from the altar of God. One day in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah said in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and the train of his temple filled the whole temple. The train of his robe filled the whole temple. Then he said, ah, and ah, he said, I said, ah, behold, I have seen the glory of God, yet I'm a sinner. As he spoke thus, the Bible says, one of the seraphs from before the throne went and took the coal from the altar of fire, and he placed it upon his tongue. Could we find ourselves experiencing things in the dimension of the spirit that affects our natural lives? Solomon woke up and he found out he was the wisest man on earth. Where is God? You know, Martha said, Please tell me, where have they hidden my master? Have you found the bridegroom? Or are you still looking? Or are you even still not thinking of looking? Jesus. Jesus is waiting to be found by you. One thing no minister can do is give you Jesus. None, no one can. They can portray his image, his picture, who he is, but to experience him, they cannot give you an experience with Jesus. They can, they, it, 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 it is the only thing that God reserved that you, he that cometh to God must be given. 
that is the rewarder of those who believe in this. Could it be that the cares of this world has so intoxicated and blinded your heart that you do not even realize your need for the master? That your needs have been over-prioritized. Our generation is a very lost generation. You know, the Bible says that when Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, became king, and one of the armies came and took away all the treasures in the treasury of the Lord. He says, the Bible says he replaced all the gold for brass. He substituted what God had told that they should, how they should be. He says everything, all the utensils of the treasury should be made of gold. Rehoboam substituted because it looked like gold. And that's what we have been doing in our generation. We've been substituting the real with the false. And that's why we come every week in church and our lives are still the same. Because we have settled for the brass. We have settled for the brass. And yet there is a place for all angry hearts, all thirsty souls are filled. A well from which you can drink and thirst no more. He says, I am that well. If you know, if you knew who it was that speaketh unto thee, you would have asked him to give you living water and thirst no more. And what we endeavor to do is move you out of the norm, move you out of the ordinary. Where you feel uncomfortable. For some of you, I know it's uncomfortable to stay so long to worship God. It's uncomfortable. But that is where we must be. If we're going to catch on to the move and the impetus of the Spirit of God, that's where we must be, on our toes. Leaving the place of our comfort zones. Until we find God. Until you can say, I know the place of His dwelling. I know where He lives. I know where he is. We speak so much abstractly about that place. But in reality, we don't know it. We, we read about it, but we don't know it. We have not experienced it. Yet the men who wrote about these places have experienced it. Moses called it the holy mountain of God. Or you still pursuing 
career, money, or life. Something is happening all over the world. There's something that God is doing. And the language of the times is hunger, is thirst. For God, not for what He can give us, not for, for, for the things He can bless us with, no, but to know Him, to love Him, to understand Him. Are you not tired? Or the cycles that perpetuated themselves unnecessarily because we refuse to shake the dust off and arise and say we will go after God no matter what it takes we will go after him and find him something must give something must give Hallelujah. Something must be. Things will, will not or should not and must not stay as they are. Something must be. Reality is what we are after. And reality can not be taught, it can only be experienced. This has been the language in my prayer closet. God, I want you. God, I want to know you. God, I'm tired. I want reality. Just draw nigh unto me, and I'll draw near to you. I'll draw near to you. Otherwise, why are you in this church? Why, why, do you, why do you come to church? Why do you go to church? Why do you say you are a Christian? Why? Why? Why should you even be a Christian? Why? Because it's fashionable? Why? I want God. I pray that that may be the linger of your soul. I want God. 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 Oh, I want God. I want God. I want God. Ooh. When Melchizedek met Abraham, the Bible says he came with bread and wine. The Bible never tells us that Abraham took the wine and the bread. Only told us that Melchizedek brought bread and wine. You know, Paul says, we have so much to say, so much to say, so much to say about this Melchizedek. He says, but it is hard. It is hard because you have become dull of hearing. Your perception in the spirit has been weakened. 
says there's so much more to discuss concerning this man. He said he came with bread and wine. When he met Abraham from the slaughter of kings, he came with bread and wine. The king of Salem, who was a priest of the Most High God, And when he came, says he did not come. Oh, let me read it to you. Chapter 7 of Hebrews. Verse 15. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment but according to the power of an endless life. He says he comes according to the power of an endless life. He represents the power of an endless life. Immortality. Says that's how Melchizedek came. He came according to the power of an endless life. Not according to the law, like Moses did. That's why when you look to Moses, you will only find death. Oh God, Moses represents death. He represents the Bible calls the ministry of death and condemnation. His ministry was to advocate death. That's why Paul in Romans says death reigned from Adam to Moses. Because when the law came, God developed a, a system by which he could advocate death. But this Melchizedek came according to the power of an endless life. For you to have life in the law of Moses, you needed to observe the law. Yet the Bible says the law in its perfection could not give life. Even though it was holy and perfect, it could not give life. And what was God's desire? That men may have life. And because the law could not give life, he had to bring in a priesthood which is not according to the law but according to the power of an endless life. So when Melchizedek comes to Abraham from the slaughter of kings, he comes carrying bread and wine. Bread and wine. He comes carrying bread and wine. And the Bible does not tell us that Abraham drank and ate. Why? Why does this king we don't even know he's a mystery. When he comes and appears, all he has is bread and wine and the blessing of God. What's with the bread and wine? It was representative of the institution that was represented. When Jesus came, just before, just before he went to the cross, the Bible says at supper, he brought all the disciples together and the Bible says he took of the bread and took of the cup and blessed it. And he said to them, take, this is my blood. Drink. 
for in it is the remission of sins. Then he gave them bread and he said, take, this is my body. Because he came in the likeness of Melchizedek. He also had to have symbolism, something that, that, that represents the institution, the order of Melchizedek, bread and wine. Melchizedek brought bread and wine. Jesus, just before he dies, he gives them bread and wine. And he tells them that the wine is his life, is his blood. He tells them that the bread is his body which is broken for them. What was Melchizedek doing when he came with bread and wine? He was representing the life and body of Christ. The blood and body of Christ. And when Jesus Christ stood before all the multitudes who wanted to make him king, he said to them, drink my ogashanda, my blood and eat my flesh. He said, he that drinks my blood and eat my flesh shall live forevermore. Why? The power of an endless life. His blood is life. His body is bread. He says, eat me. Drink me. All those who will have life in our generation. Yes, those who have understood the mystery of the bread and wine. This is the order of the Melchizedek priesthood. That we will come to upon the one who has made himself our wine who has made himself our bread when we eat him and drink him the more life we have Jesus my life Jesus my bread he told them your father ate bread which was not from heaven and died in the wilderness but I am that bread which has come down from heaven that if a man shall eat he shall live he shall live the power of an endless life. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. That they may have life to the overflow. Not just any life, but life, a sharing of the life of the Father. Because like and like can only fellowship. Because man had lost the life that he required to fellowship with God. God needed to impart that life in the bread. Every priest who does not eat and does not drink. He says, if you do not eat and drink, you have no part in me. Every priest who does not eat, who does not drink, has no part in him. Melchizedek came with bread and wine, not water. Bread and wine. Bread and wine. The power of an endless life. Why are we dying? Why are we getting weaker and weaker? Why is strength removed from our lives? Where is the vigor? Where is the invigorating life of the spirit in the church? The church is not eating the bread and the wine. We want every other thing except Jesus. That's why after he said that, he said they were offended. The Bible says they were offended and they said, who can, who can take these things? And when they left him in chapter 66, Jesus said to them, do you also want to leave? 
And Peter said, where can we go? For with you we have found the words of life. But they left him. Melchizedek, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Our affiliation to Jesus, our allegiance to him is very important. How much of him do you eat? How much of him do you drink? He says, for this reason, many fall asleep, many are weakened. For this reason. Because they eat and drink without deserving, bringing judgment to themselves. The power of an endless life. For he testifies, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling, a writing off of the former commandment because of his weakness and unprofitableness for the law made nothing perfect on the other hand there is the bringing in of a what of a better hope through which we draw near to god what is this thing is the order of melchizedek it is fashioned to help us draw near to god he says though the what the lord did was it separated men from god even further but he says we have a better hope Inasmuch as he was not made a priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 22, by so much more, by so much more, by so much more, Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Has an unchangeable priesthood. Has an unchangeable priesthood. Has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he's also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy harmless undefiled separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens mm. notice how many times he saw you are a priest forever you are a priest forever you are a priest forever why does he need to repeat this Oath, so many times, you are a priest forever. You are a priest forever. According, why? Why is it so important? Because in Christ, He reveals a new order of God's operation. How God will operate is different from how He operated with Aaron and Moses. So the order of Melchizedek, the priesthood of Melchizedek, offers us a way 
into the depths of God. Something which the Aaronic priesthood and the Mosaic order was unable to bring us into. So he says he is a high priest. Jesus. Jesus. He is a high priest. Let me read you something. Chapter number 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. He says, consider the high priest of our confession. He says, he's a high priest that has an unchangeable priesthood. So the, the, the succession of the Melchizedek order is unchangeable. Now you must follow me. So he's the high priest that is enthroned. So he's a high priest that is enthroned. Like Melchizedek, the Bible says he was the king of Satan, meaning the king of peace and righteousness. And he was also what? Enthroned. He was the high priest of the most high God. So Jesus is the high priest that is enthroned. So the Bible says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Right? Is there a throne? Okay, let me put it this way. How many thrones are there before in heaven? The major thrones. How many thrones are there? Is the right hand of the Father a throne? Or is the right hand of the Father the throne that God sits on? Is there the throne of God and the right hand throne? Which one is it? When John in Revelation was caught up to heaven, how many thrones did he see? Yeah? <laughs> How many? Excluding, ex we are not talking about the, the, the thrones of the elders. We're talking about the major one. How many thrones did you see? How many? One. We all agree? Yeah? It says, and I saw a. Yes. I saw a. Not thrones. And one who sat upon the throne. Jesus was not there. He was not there, right? Yes, we all agree. It was not Jesus on the throne. Because the Bible says, the one that was on the throne was like Jasper. Jesus is not like Jasper. Jesus is human. We all agree. Yes, the Bible says Jesus is human. He's not like Jasper. <laughs> Jasper is referring to the infulgence, the shining of the one who sits there on the throne. Right? So where does Jesus sit then? Where does he sit? If the Father is there on the throne, where is Jesus sitting? Hmm. Strange, huh? It's strange, right? Because we all agree that there is one throne. What John saw was 
one throne and the one who's sitting there on the throne is not Jesus is God is Jesus not God Jesus is God but Jesus is the God that is man so he's not like Jasper <laughs> correct so where is Jesus throne then is it the one that the one like Jasper is sitting on is it his throne does he also sit there next to him <laughs> okay 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 that's where I wanted us to go next to him where right hand side all right fine right hand side but why doesn't john see it hmm. john talks about one throne not two thrones hmm. yo it's tight huh it's tough let's let's find out let's find out <laughs> Let me show you something. Mm. You there? Okay. Look at John. Verse number 2, chapter 4, Revelations. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one set on the throne. Not two, three, five, six, one set on the throne. Correct? Now I want to show you something. Chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals, right? Then no one in heaven was worthy and stuff like that. But chapter verse 5 says, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked. I looked. So John was looking. Now look at this. He was looking. He was looking. Right? And he found no one who was worthy. He didn't see a lamb prior to that time correct because he said I looked and no one in heaven and earth was worthy to open the scrolls then he says then I looked so when he was looking the first time he did not see now he's looking again and then he sees something that was not there when he looked before follow me all right then I looked then I saw a strong angel then Okay, let me read it from there. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and lose its seven seals? And no one in heaven and on earth and under the earth was unable to look upon it. Now, here's the thing. If he saw Jesus, he would identify that there was one who was worthy to open this scroll. But when the angel sounded, he saw no one. You following me now? Now you get it, right? He saw no one. That means... The lamb was concealed from his eyes. Now you get it, right? The lamb was concealed from his eyes. Because he saw him, he found no one who was worthy. Until, what happened? Until the elder said, eh, Don't weep, boy. 
For what? There is one who is prevailed to open the, the what? The scrolls. And verse 6. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits sent into all the earth. Now, here's what it says. In the midst of the throne and of the creatures and of the elders. Oh, now you must find a spot. You must find a spot. The one on the throne. Oh, we, let's, we must demonstrate this for you so that you can see it. Let's demonstrate this for you so that you can see. Sit here, Chris. Let's demonstrate this so that you can see. Now, this is how this is how it is arranged in heaven. In case you don't know, all right? This is how it's arranged. From the throne, all right? From the throne. The throne is in an elevated place, like this. So this is the Father, right? And then around the throne, around the throne, around the throne, it is the four living creatures. There are four layers. Around the throne, like this, is the four living creatures with their wings, their cherubs. They're covering all the glory of God. But the throne is huge, right? So around the throne, so it's not like it's arrangement like you, like it's the throne, is the thrones of the 24 elders. No, they are around the throne. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure your picture was uh, before the throne. No, they are around the throne. The, the cherubim surrounds the throne, then the thrones of the 24 elders. You follow me? So here's... Here's the first layer, the cherubims, the four living creatures. The second layer is the what? The 24 elders, right? Now on the throne, this, this one on the throne has a scroll on his right hand. Clothes on his right hand. On his right hand, he didn't say on his left hand. He said the scroll is on the right hand of the one who sits on the throne. So John, wherever John, his positioning, wherever his positioning is, must have been in a place where he could see the, the throne, the creatures, and the elders, right? So he's standing there, right? And he looks and he sees no one. Then the elder comes and says, do not weep, one has prevailed. When he looks again, he sees a lamb standing in the midst of the throne, in the midst of the throne, of the creatures and of the he is standing. That lamb is standing. Now my question is, why? How could he not see the lamb when he first saw? It was hidden from his eyes until a revelation came. So it tells us that in the spirit we don't really see until something something is revealed to us. So revelation comes first before seeing. So John first sees the throne, the creatures and the elders. Now the elder tells him, someone has prevailed. Then he looks and behold, there is one standing. Now here's the question, where is the lamb now standing? Now remember, it is the lamb that was what? That was? 
that was the lamb that was slain right the lamb that was slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God now what do you know about the seven spirits of God where do they stand before the throne the seven spirits stand before the throne right now he says this one had the seven spirits of God and it was a lamb that was slain you must understand this lamb must his positioning must be greater than the elders and the creatures but not above the throne Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, sit there a while, just one, Acts, so you can be in the spirit and still be blind and oblivious to certain things, so John, now John saw one throne, but what he did not see that there were two thrones, You know why I read you that part? So that you can see that even John, even though John saw one throne and one city, there were actually two thrones. Don't worry, I'll show you. It's Bible. Acts chapter 7. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, alright? Thank you, Jesus. Acts chapter number. Acts chapter 7. Yeah. Ooh, Jesus. 55. Chapter 55. Chapter 55, you there? But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus. And saw the glory of God and Jesus. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, the one on the throne, and Jesus. Doing what? Doing what? Standing where? Standing where? So when John saw the Lamb in the midst of the elders and the throne and the four, and the twenty-four uh, elders, where was the positioning of the Lamb? Oh. Now you're getting somewhere. His positioning was at the right hand. But John doesn't see a throne. He only sees the land. Follow. Alright? Hebrews chapter 1. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1. Because remember, this, this land was already slain. And it had already the seven spirits of God. Seven horns and seven eyes. You follow? Alright. Who being the, chapter 1 verse 3, Who being the brightness of His glory, the express image of His presence, and holding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down where? At the right hand of the majesty on high. At the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become so much better than the angels. That's why I told you the positioning of the Lamb could not be behind any of the creatures. So, if, if, the, if the creatures are surrounding the throne like this, and the elders after the creatures, that means the Lamb's positioning should be between the throne and 
the creatures. But we're looking for a specific locations. Revelations. You will love this. Before we reach the destination, we have to navigate through many roads, right? So it may be you are getting something in, in, along the way, but this is not it. <laughs> and he showed me a pure river as clear as. Now read it, please. I proceeding from proceeding from and the throne of. Oh, so the lamb is a throne. When John saw the lamb standing, the lamb must have already had the throne. Oh, the throne of God and the throne of the lamb. So right there, in the throne room, there are two thrones. There is the throne of God and the throne of the lamb. So he has the scroll in his right hand. So he was standing up from where? Because the Bible says he saw him standing. So that means before John saw him, he was sitting. Hmm. But in a dimension that John was not permitted to see until the elder said, hey, see, there is what we prevailed here. The elder saw the lamb because they told John, there is one who prevailed to open the scroll and lose its seals. Now John is seeing because of the revelation that the elder gave to him. He sees the lamb standing. Why? Because when the lamb was standing, there was already something taking place. What was taking place was what? Was the, the unsealing of the scroll. So he was standing to do what? To take the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So the lamb, where was he? He was always on the right hand, on his throne. Hmm. Now notice, he sees him as a lamb. Oh. He sees him as a lamb who sits on a throne. The lamb was slain. That means blood has been spilled. So this lamb is the lamb that died and rose again. But he is standing. That means he sees. What John sees is that he sees Jesus, but he sees him as a lamb that is standing. And that lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Mm. So the lamb has a throne, the throne of God, and the throne. You can sit down. You can sit down. The throne of God and the throne of the lamb. So Jesus is the high priest, but a high priest with a throne. He's a high priest, but a high priest that is seated. 
We read that he ever lives to make intercession. So his primary cause in the heavens, on his throne, is to make intercession. The mystery of the priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek is that Melchizedek, the one who sits on the throne, is also the one who casts down his throne to worship him who sits on the throne. So Melchizedek has a throne, yet he, he performs duties that accords with a priesthood. So he is a king that offers sacrifices. So Jesus also came in the likeness of Melchizedek with a throne of himself. But this time the throne is not with Melchizedek before the throne. The throne is at the right hand of the father. Oh. The throne that Jesus sits on is also the altar that he carries out his sacrifices. This is where I was going. He sits on an altar. That's why from that altar, he legislates and, and, and demonstrates and expresses the authority of the universe. Altars is where power is released. Think about it. It's a mystery. I was thinking, this is what God showed me. He said, the throne I sit on, he said, I did not understand, I accepted it, and then he showed me several things. What is the number one priority of the high priest? Is to enter once a year into what? The Holy of Holies. To offer what? Sacrifices for sins. For himself and for the people. Into the Holy of Holies. Where was the mercy seat? Situated, the mercy seat was situated on the ark of the covenant between the cherubim. So every time, once a year, Aaron would go in and enter the holy of holies with incense. He would enter the holy of holies with incense. Why? Because the incense needed to feel the smoke of that of that part of the tabernacle, so as to cover and hide his own sin, his own wickedness. When he enters the Bible says he would what? He would offer blood on the mercy seat. The mercy seat. The Bible calls it the throne of grace. That you may find grace and obtain mercy. That place is an altar. It's not just a throne. But it's an altar. He sits there as a king. But it's also the altar upon which he has presented his blood to the Father. It says when he has washed our sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty. Why? Because the blood for the sacrifice of sin has already been presented before. When Mary, when Mary, when Mary wanted to touch him, he said, Don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended unto my father. Why? Because at that time he had not yet presented his blood before God. So he said, don't touch me. Why? Because we need a high priest who is holy, unblameable, undefined. Why is it so important that the very throne from which he exercises the dominion of the universe is the same throne from which he offers sacrifices as a high priest? 
Why is it important that that throne is an altar? The Spirit of God said to me, I cannot transcend the supernatural into the lives of people without altars. Where is your altar? What is an altar? Let me show you what is an altar. Exodus. Chapter 20, please. Get this. If you will try and get this and capture just a glimpse of the revelation that the Spirit of God is trying to communicate to you, you are in for something in your life. Chapter 20, verse 22. Then the Lord said to the who said? Who said it? Who said it? Who said it? Not everybody, right? So if it's the Lord that said it, we must pay attention. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I've talked with you from heaven. You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. Hmm, what is he saying? You shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. Then he says, verse 24, an altar of earth you shall make for me. He just told them, you shall not make anything to be with me. Gold, gods of gold, gods of silver, right? You shall not make for yourselves. But then he tells them something, you shall make for me. Not for you, for me. He said, you shall not make anything for yourselves, but you shall make for me. An altar of earth you shall make for me. And you shall sacrifice Oyatea. On it, your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. Oh, this is remarkable. Did you hear that? He said, you will make for me an altar of earth. Where you shall what? Sacrifice. So it tells you something about the altar. It is the place of what? Sacrifice and offering. And God institutionalized it when he told them you shall make it. He said, in every place where I record my name, I will come to you. Altars are locations of visitation. Allocations of manifestation, allocations of transactions of the supernatural. He said, You have heard that I've spoken to you from heaven. The altar is the thing that causes the voice of God to gravitate to that point because he says, Every place, so there are places where God records his name. Hmm. 
There are places here on earth today that you will not need to pray for you to access the dimensions of the, of the heavens. That you will not need to pray to hear the voice of God. That you will go to that location and hear God's voice without having done any other thing or extra thing that is supernatural or spiritual. Because in that place, there is a recording, a mark, a seal, a cell that God has placed on that place. It is the same with what happened to Jacob. The Bible says that Jacob put a stone and he slept while he slept in the night he experienced something why because that place years ago his grandfather the Bible says built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord so altars are places where not only offerings are sacrificed not only things are sacrificed but it is a place of meeting between the supernatural and the natural between the strong and the weak between the invisible and the, the visible says I will come I will come I will come I will come he's talking about his physical presence I will come so he tells us that every place where altars are erected God's presence manifested presence is sure to come do you have an altar Yarasonda says an altar of earth and if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by the steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. You can see that the altar is also the, the place of exposure, the place of exposition. It says, where, where your nakedness is laid bare. Where is your altar? Do you have one? It is the strength of your altar that determines the output of the supernatural in your life. All nations, all nations are built upon the principle of altars. Everywhere there's a nation today, an altar was built. Either to the convocation of satanic spirits. The power of God is invited through the principle of altars. Since you shall build an altar. Altars are built, are constructed. So an altar is a construction where spiritual sacrifices take place. They offer their sheep. We don't offer sheep. We offer spiritual sacrifices. Some of our families, our family line cannot cannot rise because there are altars erected against those family bloodlines. It's a place where words are exchanged. In, 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 in Genesis chapter 9, the Bible tells us that and Noah built an altar and burnt offerings unto the Lord. Who told him to build an altar? 
Because this law was not yet there. God had never given a law. There is no recorded place where God has said, build altars. But here is this Moses. After God destroyed the whole earth, the first thing the man does is that he kills seven clean animals and offers up an altar. I mean, offers up burnt offerings unto the Lord. And the Lord says, he has smelled it. And it was a sweet-smelling aroma. And God saw in his heart, he shall never again destroy the earth. That burnt offering provoked an action from God. He swore, he spoke. You have heard that I've spoken to you from heaven. Sometimes we can't hear God's uh, words of blessing over our lives because we do not have altars from which he can speak. It is altars that, 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 that allows, permits, authorizes heaven to act on your behalf. Without an altar, you have no backup. In the kingdom of darkness, they know the strength of the shrine. The strength of the shrine. The strength of the shrine. What determines the viscosity of demonic activity is the amount of sacrifices that is transacted on that altar. So you find that there are altars erected against you where words have been spoken on that altar that she shall not prevail. She shall not make it in life. Brother, you may be a Christian, but unless your altar is stronger than that one, you will never prevail because God observes laws and orders that he has set in the dimension of the spirit. It's not that you are a Christian. They are Christian today who live as though they are cursed because they are altars that have been erected against their lives. When Elijah went and met and encountered the prophet of Baal, 850 of them, when he encountered them, he told the children of Israel, he called the whole uh, 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 nation of Israel, he said, if God be God, then serve him. If Baal be Baal, then serve him. Then he said, we will come now and show a spectacle of whose God can answer by fire. Then he called all 850 of them, and the Bible says they began to build altars. Why didn't they just pray? And the Bible says they offered offerings upon the altar, yet Baal did not answer. And Elijah started mocking them, said maybe he's on lunch. Then they started cutting themselves. At about twilight, the Bible says Elijah stood up and the Bible says he built the altar with 12 stones. And he poured water, he told them, pour water, pour water, pour water, pour water on the altar of the Lord. The Bible says he repaired the altar of the Lord. And after he repaired the altar, that's when Elijah prayed. He did not pray before he built the altar. He prayed after he repaired the altar. So sometimes we pray, but we pray the absence of altars. Death and God cannot have a place, a vacuum, a channel through which to release his supernatural power. So every day, oh God, Rabasha, but we have no altars where God can transcend. God says, I hear your prayer, but where is the altar upon which I can show my power? Mm -hmm. 
The law of the spirit is that no spirit can carry transactions in the natural without a body. Altars is what? It's it's the law that routes the principle to allow spirits to walk. Now, if that is the case, it would be impossible for for every demon to function and operate today. But are demons operating? Yes, they are operating. Why are they operating? Because they've been given access through mediums of altars. So when a demon wants to enter into a city, a demon will go and find an altar that has been erected to Satan to enter the city into. It's the same with angels. The Bible says Jacob saw what? He saw a ladder and the angels. What was transacting? Angels. It says the angels of God were coming up and down. Why? Because that was the place through which they can access. It tells you something that even the day when Gabriel met Zechariah in the temple, when Zechariah was offering, there was already an altar upon which Zechariah was offering. So the angel Gabriel found an access point to come and bring forth the message. You will never experience the supernatural when altars are absent. So you cry, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. But he has no vent. He has no place of access. He has no routing system through which he could access your life and work through your life. But you say, I pray. Yes, you pray. But an altar is a construction upon which you pray. And the Bible says, when Elijah prayed, says the Bible says, the fire came down from heaven. Fire, they saw it. Fire. And it consumed the the what the sacrifice on the altar. Yet the water or oh, the fire was not quenched by the water, because this was a fire from heaven. The throne that he sits on is an altar. Where is yours? Isaiah 56. says for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than the sons that better than that of sons and daughters I will give them an everlasting name they shall not be cut off also the sons of foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to serve him to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and hold fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house, in my house of prayer. They are burnt offerings and they are sacrifices 
will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. It says even their offering shall be accepted on my altar. What is his altar? He says I will call him to my holy mountain. Even to my house of prayer. That is the altar where sacrifices and offerings God will accept. He says his house is an altar. He says the house of God is an altar. Hmm. That's one of the reasons why church attendance is important. Coming regularly to church is important. Because it is a designated place where the Father has put his name upon the church. And he says, this is my house of prayer. Provided that that house engages in prayer and intercession. The word the prayer is intercession and supplication. So he's saying, my house is a house of intercession. My house is a house of his intercession. Is it not that he ever lives to make intercession for all men? Is it not that he says that his house is a house of intercession? So if that house is a house of intercession, that house is an altar. And his voice can be carried out. And he can be allowed to manifest his power. That's why we don't see the supernatural in our lives. Because we carry out ministry upon broken altars. We carry out ministries upon altars that are damaged, altars that are profaned. So we pray, but our prayers cannot ascend rightly. Our incense cannot ascend rightly because it is strange, it is pollution, it is corrupted. Why? Because the altar upon which we burn our offering is corrupted and profaned. If there's no altar in your family, you are in danger. Oh, oh. Forget the rising in your family line. Forget it. Because altars are places where prophecies are fulfilled. Without altars, prophecies cannot be fulfilled. That's why even after Elijah, Elijah prophesied, he had to go pray. Because altars route the possibilities of prophecy. Go tell Hezekiah to prepare his house, for he shall not live but die. Then he told him, when he told him, he turned his face to the wall and he began to. The man had an altar because while Isaiah was walking in the courtyard, God said, Turn back and change what I have seen. This generation of church folks is an altarless generation. It's an altarless generation because they think things like this are things of the Old Testament. I used to think like this. It's Old Testament. It does. It's not inference. No. Altars, brothers and sisters, are not just physical erections. They are also spiritual erections. There are altars on earth, and there are also altars can be erected in the spirit. So he says, the building, 
becomes God's altar. The house becomes God's altar. That way, that's why David said that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever and inquire in his temple, not in my house. Not in my house. Inquire in his temple. Says, I desire to live in the house of God, not in my house. Why? Because that is the place of spiritual transaction. So buildings can be made altars. You see that? Buildings can be made altars. Your own house can be turned into an altar. Your own room can be turned into an altar. Provided it is consecrated and his name is recorded in that place, it becomes an altar. John chapter 1. why in your family nobody gets married even if they do get married they never last in marriage or there's a spirit of poverty following your family line the root is not the fact that the spirit is is there is present is afflicting your family you must find the cause where did this thing get in where did this thing find access the place of access is the altar to which that spirit came through your bloodline so you don't look at the spirit no you go to the altar you go back to the altar and find what was offered on that altar what was said on that altar so you find a struggle in our families in our bloodlines and this thing is following generations in the family. His altars. So we are Christians. We serve Jesus. But we have no altars. So our power our relevance, our authority. That's why I told you the priesthood is important. Because without the priesthood, there cannot be exercise of power. You know what he said in, 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 in Malachi? He says, I will rebuke the devourer. He's telling you that there is a devourer. There is a spirit called the devourer. 
Now God doesn't just use words just for the sake of words. Then he says, I will rebuke the devourer. Tell you there's a real thing called a devourer. Now, now that devourer does it know Old Testament and New Testament. Does it know that the devourer know what is Old Testament, what is New Testament? God didn't speak about the devourer because it was in the Old Testament. He spoke about the devourer because it was a reality that existed in the spirit. And he said, if you will do this thing, I will rebuke the devourer. He tells you that you, by yourself, Chris, can rebuke the devourer. That there are, there are dimensions of spirits, of principalities, of demons that you cannot cast out, that you cannot rebuke, that you cannot bind. That only God himself must bind those spirits. Did, did he not say this thing does not come out except through prayer and fasting? He didn't say it does not come out except through casting out. He said through prayer and fasting. As you commit yourself to God in fasting and in prayer. He said this thing is cast out. Where you don't need to say come out for it to come out. Because there is a higher dimension in the spirit where these things exist. So he says I will rebuke the devourer. So no amount of prayer can rebuke the devourer. Only one thing can. And God revealed to us the thing. So there are things in our family life, even in our lives, that we can bind and rebuke, and nothing will happen until we wreck altars. That's why we are suffering as Christians. Because we have weak altars, yet there are altars erected against our progress that are stronger than our own altars. Spirits must be permitted to act and exercise and transcend in the earth. They must be permitted. If they are permitted, that means an altar has been erected. Where is your Holy Ghost? Why is he not manifesting in your time of trouble? Why is he not showing up? Why is his power absent when you needed the most? So you find that there are locations which, because of the recording of God's name, those places have become altars. <clears throat> that there are churches where, where because of the spiritual offerings that have taken place in that place, spiritual activity that has taken place in those places, those places have become altars of God. It's time to raise your altars. I saw in the spirit yesterday when I was praying. I saw as I was praying, God said, I want to show you something. And I looked, he said, behold the order of your people. And I saw most of you here, you have no altars. And God said, even though I want to bless them, I cannot. Because they are spiritual lives, spiritual offerings. There is emptiness in their spirituality. What rises to your defense in the time of calamity? That's why some of you, you will forever be broke. You, no matter how much money you have, you will forever be broke. Because you do not understand the mystery of sanctification. 
dedication of your money upon the altar. You do not understand. Jesus asked, is it the temple that sanctifies the gold or the gold the temple? Then they told him, yes, it is the same. It is the temple that sanctifies the gold. It says, rightly have you said. Meaning in the house of God, there is a system that God initiates that is that allows his people to always have and live in sanctified money. So no matter how much money you get, it will come, it will go. Why? It's unsanctified. It's unprotected. Said sanctify. If, if, if the branch is holy, the whole lamp will be holy. So because we don't understand even the mystery of giving, the mystery of sacrifice, the mystery of offering, we always have, but we wonder, wait, where is it going? After today, brothers and sisters, if you want anything in your life of spiritual significance to take place, of supernatural significance to take place, you must be provoked to begin erecting altars. Altars not only for yourself, for your family bloodline, for your generations, for your children. Because the altar speaking against you, altar speaking against your progress, your destiny and your future. John chapter 1. Altars are places where the angels can become active, can carry out the agenda of heaven for your life. Let's read. Verse 33, chapter 1. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. It says, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending. The spirit descending. So Jesus was a place of activity. The spirit descended on him. He was a location of activity. He was a location to which heaven can duplicate, replicate and express the divine of God. He was an altar. Because spiritual activity is transacted through him. Oh, Jesus. Verse 15. Jesus answered him and said, Because I said to you, I, see, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God descending and ascending upon the sons, the Son of Man. So Jesus was an altar. Because angels descended and ascended upon him. 
In other words, they had access to the earth because he was there. Does God have access to your environment because you are present? Does God have access to your city because you are there? Can God vent out his power because you are there? Are you an altar to the Lord? Do angels function because of you? Do angels take place and move around carrying out the works of God because of you? Or are you a gate of brass? A hindrance to the establishment of the kingdom. Altars don't hinder. Altars grant access. So you see that Jesus was an altar. Foreshadowing that there would come a time where God would not just erect an altar, but many altars all over the world. Today, everybody in the body of Christ is designated by God to be an altar unto the Lord. But there's no fire on those altars. There's no transaction on those altars. The angels can move through those altars. Did he not say you are the salt of the earth? Salt preserves. Salt preserves from decay. Said you are the salt of the earth. In other words, you are God's preservation system here on earth. He said if the salt loses its flavor, from where shall it be uh, flavor? Then he said it is good for nothing but to be trapped underfoot. So he said you are a preserver preserving system against the rot and corruption in the world you are the one that god is using to stop and hold the rot oh says you are an altar but maybe your altar is weak maybe not enough spiritual sacrifices take place on the altar oh what will your destiny be The throne he sits on, he intercedes on. The Bible calls it the throne of the Lamb, not of Jesus, the throne of the Lamb. Where is your throne? I'm trying to answer a question to you. I'm trying to answer a question for you. Why is my life this way? Why is my why is my life turned out to be this way? The source is the altar. She says, I will come and bless you as he come. I says, I will come, I will come and bless you. It's time to rebuild those altars. It's time to rebuild those altars. Some of you have, have to go as far as building physical altars. It's time to rebuild those altars. It's time. When, when, when Moses was on the mountain, they said to they said to Aaron, build us what? 
Build us what? A calf. As for this Moses, we do not know. And the Bible says he built them a calf. Who was that calf? If you read Jeremiah, you will find that that calf was Moloch. Who was Moloch? Who was Moloch? Oh, Shanda, brother. Moloch was the God, was the Ammonian God of perversion. And they, they, they were sacrificing offerings to Moloch. And you know what were those sacrifices? Babies. God says, he says, were you not sacrificing your babies to your God, Moloch? And they were burning babies inside that calf. That's why when Moses came back and God said to him, look at your people. What happened? He killed all of them that were, were participating there. Says all those 40 years, were you, were, were you giving offerings to me? Says, were you not burning your offerings to your gods and to the stars of Raphim? Those were gods of Ammonians, Asherahs, and Ashtarots. You know why Jezebel is so prevalent throughout the scriptures today? You must find who his father and mother was. When she was little, she was dedicated to the gods of Asherah and Ashtaroth. His father was a high priest of Baal. Her father, Jezebel's father. That's why she commanded so much power. Because of the spirit that was ruling behind her. The Bible, the Bible calls the prophets of Baal, Jezebel's prophets. Who got angry after they were killed. And she sent message to Elijah. He says, he says the gods do to me. <laughs> if... By day's end, I don't kill you. The man who killed 850 prophets was intimidated by the mere voice of a woman. He ran away and wanted to die. It's a spirit that you was carrying. And that's why even Jesus speaks about Jezebel. The Bible calls her a, a, the one who calls herself a prophetess, who does what? Who deceives and causes my servants to commit sexual immorality. The spirit. It's time to raise our altars. It's time to rebuild them, to repair them, and to constantly have them burning with incense. It is my house, which is my altar, shall be called a house of intercession. So the highest order the highest duty of the high priest is to intercede so we must enter into that office that's how you build altars that's how you repair altars that's how you preserve the institution of the priesthood in the kingdom of god we must pray if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn away from the wicked works, I will hear them from heaven and come heal their land. Our land is becoming more, more cruel, more wicked, more corrupt because altars unto the Lord are not built. People of intercession are not taking their place. I sought for a man and I found none. 
There is trouble in your family, trouble in your lineage, but the altar is not. Why is it not? Is it not signaling inside you that I must go before the altar of God? I must go and speak words upon the altar. Paul says we have an altar that to eat from, which those who are outside have no right to eat. You cannot expect God to do anything if the altar is not prepared for Him to move. You cannot expect. And that's what we have been doing here in as Christians. We've been expecting God, crying to God, wanting God to help us. Yet we, we ourselves are not playing our parts. It's time to repent. It's time to repent. Otherwise, you will find people dying in your family who are not supposed to die. You will find people who you love, who are dying, who, whose lives are becoming more harder, who are suffering, who are not supposed to suffer. Because your altars are empty. There's no sacrifice and they are broken down. And you wonder and you cry, God, why? God, why? People are taken before their time. You will pray now and ask God to forgive you and repent of taking lightly the place of prayer, the chambers of prayer, of trembling them underfoot. Some of you in your lives, by your action, you are saying, what is prayer? What value is there in prayer? You see this situation is becoming worse and worse and you are folding your arms and you are thinking what to do. You are doing every other thing except what really matters. Invoking the power of God. 